Hello everybody, my name is Alex Marks and this is Young History, episode 40 on Cyprus. Now the fact that we've even gotten 40 episodes out is crazy and I also think considering this is kind of a big number, I feel that every 10 we get done is feels pretty big. So for this one to be Cyprus is very cool because Cyprus is actually one of the favorite countries I ever studied when I was kind of going country by country over the last few years and trying to learn a lot about each one. And Malta, of course, was up there, but Cyprus has something about it. There's just been, much like Malta, so many different powers there. The culture that it has today is very unique, even though it is so close to so many so many prominent big cultures, such as Turkish, and it's close to Israel, and it's by Egypt. Despite that, it has, its, has a culture of its own, and it's very unique. And I don't know what it is, man. I just have a thing for islands, I guess. If I were to kind of list off my five favorite countries that aren't, Outside of Italy, because I just have a thing for Italy, and my family's a little bit Italian, so I really do deep dove into that. But outside of that, my favorite really is like Malta, Cyprus, Palau, Nauru, and Singapore. And I know Singapore is an island, but like the majority of them being islands is pretty ridiculous. And I don't know what it is, but it is the truth. It is what I enjoy a lot. I think the fact that they are able to have so much history, despite being such tiny little specks on most maps is very cool to me and I think it's very impressive that they're able to develop a culture of their own despite being close to other superpowers, despite being controlled by other superpowers. So I'm just going to get into a few of the things about this country that are going to kind of define where it's at right now and then we're going to do the history, wrap up with the present, and we're going to see how it goes. So this is definitely going to be one I enjoy. This is going to be one of my favorite ones. And once I was redoing some research and really deep diving to rejog my memory as well as learn new things in preparation for this episode, it was very, very good. So let's get right into it. So as most people know, the country is currently split into two parts. It is split into north and south, and the line is not directly across north-south. It's pretty much the northeast and the southwest split in kind of a diagonal line. This diagonal line is called the green zone, which is not owned by either part that is split in the country. The northern part is the kind of Turkish Cyprus, which is much more Turkish in ethnicity, and it is fully controlled and occupied by Turkey itself. The only country in the world that recognizes this part of Cyprus as an independent country is Turkey. And the southern part is considered just greater Cyprus, is just Cyprus in general. It's what the international community views as Cyprus and where the real capital is. And beyond that, the international community pretty much looks at the island and doesn't recognize it as being split and says that there is just one Cyprus and that the whole island is Cyprus and there is no Turkish Republic of Cyprus. And one of the interesting things about Cyprus is that it's considered the first place in the world where a cat was likely owned as a pet because up until recently, when this evidence was found, they believed that cats were first being domesticated as house animals in 3,3500 BC, that range, in Egypt, but there's actually remains that have been tested and proven to have been as old as from 7,500 BC, so 9,500 years ago, where a man was buried with a small cat in the same coffin as him, which meant that it was obviously his pet and not, you know, like dinner or anything. So very clearly this was the first time and this has now made everyone kind of scratch their heads and confused about where this idea of owning cats came from. But we know that the oldest evidence we have is in Cyprus in 7500 BC. Another thing is that it's actually illegal to drink or eat while driving at all in Cyprus. And if you get caught doing this, you can get fined over $100. And that even applies to taking a sip of water, because if you're driving, take a sip of water. They view it as any little distraction could cause an accident, and there's no reason for you to take that risk when you could just drink later on. 
or eat later on. So definitely a law that, you know, especially in America, we wouldn't be used to because a lot of us, a.k.a. me, definitely eat and drive at points or take sips of things. So it's very interesting, but that is a law that is in place here. And that pretty much gets us to where we want to start with our origins, where we get into people history. And I'm not going to dilly-dally much longer. Really, this country has a lot to say for itself as we do the history, as we get through all the different people that occupied it, the different empires and kingdoms and individuals almost. So truly, I'm not going to hold it up anymore. So thank you all so much for being here. And one more time, my name is Alex Marks. This is Young History. And this is Cyprus. Let's do this thing. So our origins begin before 7500 BC, where it is believed that the first known settle settlements and people occupying this land were from as far back as the 10th to 9th millennium BC as early Levant people. And Levant is pretty much the region of the world that encapsulates Syria, Lebanon, Israel, and close to Egypt. That kind of region is the Levant. So people from somewhere among there, we don't know exactly where and what we would call it today, if it's Israel or Syria, those were believed to be the first people who got here, and they were definitively on this land by the 10th or 9th century BC. And their population grew as the world kind of grew into what was the Copper Age, where copper work became much more popular. But it would be around, it would be between the 4th and 3rd millennium BC, where the Minoans actually arrived, and they came from the island of Crete. And they came here mostly for the copper ore because it was literally all over the island. There was nowhere you could go. You couldn't dig into the sand. You couldn't mine mountains without finding it. And copper is very popular in making bronze, which leads to the Bronze Age. And Minoans controlled this land for quite a while. They held onto it for about a millennium or maybe two closer to two millenniums, depending on when exactly they arrived, which we don't know for sure. But the biggest thing they left behind when it came to influence in the country was that the early... Cypriot script, which is people of Cyprus are called Cypriot. So earlier Cypriot script was written by was written based on the Minoan script that was influencing the land at the time. And the population really started to blow up even more as the copper trade became huge as the Bronze Age was coming to its head. And a lot of immigrants from Crete actually came into the land. These Minoans started to make up more and more of the population. This led to the overall population growing hugely. After them, it would be around the 2nd millennium BC when the Mycenaean Greeks actually started to arrive onto the island. They were able to take the island over from the Minoans because the Minoans were suffering greatly from a lot of tidal waves and brutal storms that were causing starvation and famine on the island. And the Mycenaeans were able to stick their sword into the heart of the Minoans here on Cyprus. They take over the land. And this isn't the only thing they take over, though, because they were a very warfaring culture and they were taking over a lot of the islands of the Mediterranean. Some people argue that the Mycenaean Greeks took over every island of the Mediterranean and because they were doing this it meant that they were very distracted from running Cyprus fully and with full attention. So this meant that there wasn't really any true ruler of Cyprus for a time and that a lot of the benefits and trade that were coming in and out of the country because of its very prominent location in the Mediterranean were going straight to the country itself and the government and the people. So the natives of Cyprus were actually able to jump into the very lucrative trade market of the Mediterranean and they sold copper as well as other kind of cultural goods and things you could find on this land and started to trade them out into the Mediterranean, into the Levant, over to Europe. 
and it actually made them very rich because there was no third party taking away any of the profits. This would last until Alashia, which is a kingdom of the Levant region that was in power at the time. They actually came over and took over the island, and because of this, it made the island of Cyprus very close in relationship with Egypt, as well as a lot of the other kingdoms in the area, because the kingdoms at the time were very close and were trying to avoid wars, except they all didn't like Assyria, the Assyrian kingdom, which we'll eventually see becomes a very important note to take and important thing to remember as we're doing the history of Cyprus, because the Assyrians do have their time to take over Cyprus as well. But in between that, and before that happened, the connection between the Alashia and the Mycenaean Greeks was actually very clear, as more and more Greeks actually started to migrate into the land under the Alashia control, because they had a very good connection, and the Greeks felt that they were equally welcome there as they were in Greece. This would not go on for too long, though, because the Hittite Empire would actually start to make their mark on the land and eventually take over because they were able to defeat the Alashia in what is known as the first ever dated naval battle that we know of as of today. So this was in 1210 BC, just off the eastern shore of Cyprus and kind of west and south of what we know as Israel and Turkey today. The Hittites came from kind of what was Anatolia, that whole region, and had this battle in, battle in the eastern parts of Cyprus and defeated the Alashia in what was 1210 BC. There is not a single dated naval battle that has been recorded and confirmed to have happened before this date that we know of in human history. Of course, there were naval battles before, but there's just none we could put an actual date on outside of this one any earlier in time. So after this defeat, the Hittite Empire fully claims the land. This only lasts for a short amount of time, though, because the empire fell, the Hittite Empire entirely fell around the 12th century BC. And once the Hittite Empire collapsed, something else collapsed, and that would be the Bronze Age. So the Bronze Age collapse actually happened around the same time. And this saw a new rise to power in Cyprus, where they were now independent in their own right, where 12 different kingdoms would kind of rise to power within Cyprus. I would name all of them, but it just doesn't seem necessary. They raise up different support and banners and royal ties, familial ties, all throughout Cyprus. They cut up the land into 12 different regions, and they control it. And these kingdoms were actually in really good relations with the Phoenicians, so they were seeing a lot of early technology, they were seeing a lot of trade, and they were prospering quite well. But that would only go on until the Assyrians, as I mentioned before, came into full power and were able to conquer most of the Eastern Mediterranean, including Cyprus, in 709 BC. But just like the Hittite Empire, this kind of control of Cyprus spread them a little too thin because they were controlling so much of the Eastern Mediterranean, as well as Cyprus, as well as the mainland area that they were taking that their empire actually fell because of it and this led to another brief independence where Cyprus was independent from the 7th to the 6th century BC and honestly here's where things just hit the fan because over the next thousand years the amount of empires that pop in and out of Cyprus to take power is just ridiculous so the first ones to pop in after the brief independence is actually the Egyptians that happened in the later part of the 6th century and claim it because of location and familial ties and they believe that is their right to claim this land as the royal empire of the world that didn't last long as the persian achaemenid empire came from 550 to 330 bc the local kingdoms of cyprus actually started two rebellions to kind of stand up against these persian incursions and the persian rule they did this with the help of the, I the ionian greeks but persia was able to smash both of these resistances and it led to actually no change then from 333 
to 334 BC. Alexander the Great was rampaging through Persia and taking over all of it. Including that, he also took over Cyprus, which meant that it was under the control of Alexander the Great. But once Alexander the Great died at this very young age of, I believe, 30, the land that he had conquered had to be split up between his generals, and the land of Cyprus would actually fall into the Ptolemaic Empire and Ptolemaic control under Ptolemy. And that would make them right in the center of the conflict between Ptolemy and Antigonus, who were both people that were under Alexander the Great and inherited land once he passed. So Cyprus actually did side with Ptolemy, despite Antigonus having a lot more land and seemingly a lot more power. This led to Cyprus kind of bouncing back and forth between the two for a long time. They were controlled by Ptolemy, then Antigonus. So it's a very deep and dark time for Cyprus, as nothing is stable for any amount of time. But the island actually ends up being part of the Ptolemaic Empire once the conflict ends, and they remain this way until 58 BC. And in this time period before 58 BC, when they're under Ptolemy, is they're actually very, very Greek. They get more and more Greek, more Greeks come in, Greek culture starts to take more and more root, especially in the southern part of the country, and then it spreads throughout all of the island of Cyprus, and it would remain that way forever. And a side note is actually that it was actually a man of Cyprus, so a Cypriot, who actually created the philosophy of Stoicism, which is famous from a lot of Greek philosophers. But the first man to start it was actually Zeno of Sidium, who was a Cypriot. And the reason that Ptolemaic rule ended in 58 BC was because that was when Rome showed up. And at this point, Rome was already the premier power of the Mediterranean. So when they came, there wasn't much res- there wasn't much resistance at all. They pretty much showed up, planted their SP. QR, the Senatus Papalusque Romanus flag onto the island and looked at the people who were living there and said, yeah, you're pretty much an island of Rome now. And they went, okay, because there was no reason for them to fight Rome. They knew that they would get squished if they did. So they pretty much went, well, okay, well, as long as you don't ruin our life too much. So it's cool. And this didn't last long because when Mark Anthony was in power, he actually gave the island away to Egypt once again. And then that would be undone very quickly when... Octavian, who later becomes Augustus, was on his path to avenge the death of his uncle, Julius Caesar, and he was pretty much undoing anything Mark Anthony did, and he was making good on anything that Mark Anthony did wrong. So one of the things he did was get Cyprus back under the control of Rome, and this Rome-slash-eventually-Byzantine rule would last until the 6th century of the Common Era. And according to the Gospels, the thing that was happening in the Levant region in general was actually that Paul the Apostle was making his missions to spread Christianity more prominent. And the first place that these Gospels say a mission happened, which would have been the first mission in the world, was to the island of Cyprus. And this led to a lot of conflict because the land of Cyprus was already becoming more and more Jewish as time went on. And a lot of the Cypriot Jews resisted Roman rule and any religion that was coming from the Romans or coming from Paul the Apostle as he was bringing Christianity. And this would lead to them killing many of the Roman garrisons to show resistance in what was called the Kedos War. And it was actually reported that over 200,000 Cypriot Greeks were actually slaughtered by the Jewish population because they didn't want to adhere to any Greek Orthodox Christianity of any sort. And this, of course, would lead to a Roman Empire army being sent to crush the rebellion, and it fully did crush the rebellion. There were no survivors. The rebellion was as dead as it was before it started. And this leads to another couple hundred years of 
Roman rule, but things do change because the Roman Empire was starting to split, and Western Rome fell fully in 476 after the split of the Roman Empire, and the East would pretty much last in power in Cyprus until a little past the 6th century CE into around 680 CE, where the Umayyad Caliphate actually came into power, and the Umayyads were garrisoning a lot of forts and an army on Cyprus, but the Byzantines didn't exactly want to fight against them because they knew they were a very premier power, and they were kind of at the point where they were trying to avoid war for once. So instead of invading, they actually made an agreement where both of the powers, the Umayyad and the Byzantines, would occupy the island, and the taxes that would be raised in the country would actually be split 50-50 between the two. And this would actually last for over two centuries, so it was quite successful. But that changed when new power came into the halls of the Byzantine Empire, and in the 900s, they would fully take the island over once again, and they would force out the Umayyad powers. But, as you can imagine, I know, I said it, there's a lot of countries that take, a lot of countries, a lot of powers, a lot of kingdoms. People took over Cyprus. So, as I was saying, as you can imagine, the Byzantines don't hold on to power for long, because the Byzantines didn't exist for that much longer anyways. Crusades were going on throughout the Mediterranean, in the Iberian Peninsula, and then in the east, in the Levant region. And during the Crusades, the wife and sister of Richard the Lionheart, who was one of the most famous crusaders of all time, actually shipped right on Cyprus. But the king of Cyprus at the time thought it would be a great idea to imprison them both and say that there was no way for Richard the Lionheart to get back his wife and sister. So Richard the Lionheart said, okay. I have a solution, and he invaded his island and drove a sword through the heart of this king, took over his land, and freed his wife and sister, as you can imagine he did. And rule was peaceful and pretty prosperous for a time under Richard the Lionheart and his crusaders, but he also brought a lot of taxes to this new land that wasn't anything like any other land he had been on. And this led to a lot of unrest within the country, and people wanted to stand up against his rule, so he actually handed power off to the Knights Templar instead of his own crusaders that were in power and this would last until 1489 because around that time in 1489 the king of jerusalem named Guy was actually just exiled from Jer jerusalem and he was a former crusader who was also very well connected and related to certain french kings he fled to cyprus and was welcomed with open arms and has actually given pretty much control of the whole island and because of the fact and because of the fact that the relationship between different crusaders even the different branches from the templars to to the other crusaders which could have been the knights of saint john the teutonic knights the malte knights any of those other ones could have been the ones that were it was handed off to so he wanted to kind of break away because he knew what was happening here and the new people of the crusaders who actually came into power were mostly French, so they didn't have quite the cultural connection to the land and didn't have much care for what the Greeks did. They were really only there to get their tax payout from ruling the country and want to go back to what they were doing. But 1489 was also a year where other things were happening, where underneath the nose of the Crusaders was the Venetians, and the Venetians were the merchant class and who had been building up a lot of connection not only in Venice but also in Cyprus and were trading so much that they had enough money to pretty much buy the country out from under the Crusaders. And they pretty much did so in the year 1489, where the power they had with trade actually made them the rulers of the island slash country of Cyprus. And they had to deal with everything that came with being leaders of a country. And the main thing that meant was dealing with the Ottoman Empire constantly raiding the island. So around 1570, the biggest invasion happened when 100,000 
Ottoman troops were sent to attack Nicosia, which is currently the capital of Cyprus. And they actually sacked the capital, burned it damn near to the ground, and slaughtered as many people as they could. But the siege that went on was a year long, and this actually gave the Pope a lot of time to develop a correlation, a coalition with a lot of other European powers and powers within the Mediterranean to stand up to this Ottoman force because the Ottomans did succeed in fully taking over Cyprus, but the Western world of Europe and Christendom didn't want this Ottoman Empire to expand any more than it did. So they mustered up a large naval force, which actually was able to defeat Ottomans, defeat the Ottomans in certain battles and kept them from expanding as far or as fast as they could have. And another huge thing that actually stopped the Ottomans from expanding was the failed siege of Malta, which happened in 1565 when 50 to 100,000 people actually invaded Malta under the Ottoman Empire. And Malta was able to resist because of its kind of fortress-style design and the resilience of the people in Malta. This stopped the Ottomans from expanding anymore, but it didn't stop the Ottomans from ruling Cyprus. So, under Ottoman rule, Ottomans started to move. Under Ottoman rule, there was a lot of migration from the mainstay of the Ottoman Empire, which is today Turkey. And they started to move into Cyprus, despite the majority of the population still being very, very Greek. And for a short time, the Ottoman rule was okay, but the high taxes that were hitting the Greeks mostly actually led to a lot of revolts and the revolts did fail but it didn't fail to make an impact which was that people didn't want to be ruled by the Ottomans. Now British rule started to creep its way in in the 1800s when after the defeat of the Ottomans in the Russo-Turkish War the British began to take over in 1878 but British rule wasn't officially legitimized until 1914 when the Ottomans actually sided with Germany in the First World War and Britain was able to fully annex the land. And internally, this wasn't seen as a problem at all because even the Turkish Cypriots were very much okay with another power taking over because they didn't like the way the Ottomans were ruling. They didn't like the taxes, the abuses of power, the things that had built over time because the Ottomans took over around 1570. And for the first 100 years, there was a lot of peace, but it came to the late 1600s and then the 17, and of course the 1800s where the Ottoman Empire was becoming weaker and weaker, and it was doing what it could to hold on tightly to its money and its power. So that came with a lot of taxes, that came with a lot of abuses of power in what holdings it had left. So once the British came in, everyone was pretty much cool with it happening, except the Greeks that were living on the land, because the Greeks actually wanted to either be fully independent or unite with Greece, because at the time the country was still a full Greek majority. And there was a growing Turkish population, but it was a Greek majority. And this led to them vying for independence pretty hard. So in 1931, Greek Cypriot protests started to call for the end of the UK's rule. And they wanted what was called Enosis, which was to unite with Greece. And of course, in the opposite of what was happening before, the Turkish population didn't want this. So from 1955 to 1959, conflicts were coming to a head. The protests that started peaceful with the Greeks ended up being a lot of street fighting between them and Turkish people. And this time from 1955 to 1959 would be known as the Cyprus Emergency when protests became violent and it pretty much became an armed insurgency where the Greek Cypriots were now going to try and overthrow the power of the British and take the country over themselves and then go and unite it with Greece. And this actually wouldn't happen. The reason it stops in 1959 is because after a lot of fighting, negotiations start to happen and the United Kingdom doesn't let them unite with Greece, but they do grant them independence in the year 1960, but they would still keep some of their holdings on the island. They have two forts, which still remain there today under the United Kingdom. 
and the island would now be fully independent. And the first person to rule as president would be a man named Makarios. He was voted as the archbishop when Cyprus wasn't quite independent yet because he was advocating very much for Enosis, which was, as I said, the uniting with Greece. And when the Cyprus emergency happened, he was actually abducted he was actually abducted and sent to Seychelles for a year, which is above Madagascar, so very far away from this country, because of the fact that it was, he was kind of seen as someone who was inciting riots and inciting resistance to the British rule. But once he came back, he was hailed with a lot of praise and was elected president. And despite independence happening and no NSS happening, there's no uniting with Greece, conflict actually broke out pretty bad between the Greeks and the Turks, and this actually led to mainland Greece helping send troops and money and weapons to Cyprus to help ha- kind of have like a Greek coup happen so that Cyprus could unite with Greece the way it wanted to, because, of course, why wouldn't Greece want that? But in 1974, after that coup was stopped, because the coup actually went to overthrow the president, who was Makarios at the time still, because he kind of stopped being so okay with this idea of Enosis, because he knew the only way to get there would be violence, which he wasn't going to support. So this coup originally happened with the Greeks because they wanted to put a person in power who would support Enosis instead of Makarios. And in 1974, the coup was ended, but in a very violent way, when Turkey themselves actually sent a full invasion to take over the country. Over 100,000 Turkish troops were sent to invade the northern part of Cyprus, and they push all of the Greek troops back and pretty much stop at where the border is today between northern Cyprus and Cyprus. And their goal was to protect the Turkish Cypriots of the land, And they take over, and they displaced thousands of Greek Cypriots, and within a few years, they declared it as an independent country, as the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, in 1984. And I said this in the intro, the only country to recognize it is Turkey, and it is not seen as sovereign, it's not seen as part of the UN, it's not anything to anyone except for Turkey, and Cyprus itself is still seen as a whole island when you were to look at it through the lens of anyone but Turkey. But the conflict still remained, and this led to the UN actually creating a green zone, which is a peace between, kind of a peaceful zone between northern Cyprus and southern Cyprus, where it's occupied by the UN, where shots can't be fired, violence can't happen, because if it did, it would lead to the UN getting involved, and that's a whole bigger thing than just two countries fighting over one area of land. That become, makes it a global issue, which can make it very tense. So the UN control this kind of strip that runs through the middle of this division, and the UK still controls their forts that are on the southern parts of the island. And with that, that pretty much gets us to the modern age and the present day where as Turkey tries to join the EU, the biggest thing that stops them is not only their culture and their size and some other factors, it's the fact that in order to join the EU, there is the clause that you have to be approved by every member. And while this thing is going on with Cyprus, Greece will absolutely never approve Turkey coming into the EU. So that's always going to be a conflict and because of that, it's very clear that the conflict is still very huge today, the split between northern and southern Cyprus, and there's still debates over it many times a month. Every election between Greek, Greece and Turkey sees both powers. Electees have that as part of their agenda. It's always talked about. Peace is still trying to be negotiated for, but peace has not come. They're pretty much just in a ceasefire now because of that union, because of that United Nations kind of green zone. But outside of that, it's still very tense, and there's still bad blood. It's a very tough situation. And despite this, Cyprus is actually in the EU. Um, Technically, the part that's in it is southern Cyprus, 
when you get super specific, but when it's looked at on a map and you're looking at like checking off which countries are in the EU, it doesn't specifically say the southern part of Cyprus, it's just Cyprus, which is recognized as the whole island. So it's a very weird dynamic, but it is the dynamic we have right now. And that means Cyprus does use the euro, especially in the southern, more Greek half. And that gets us to the present where, you know, a few facts about the country right now are that actually has one of the lowest murder rates in the world with a population of around 856,000 people. There's only one murder per around 100,000 people, which means they average eight to nine murders a year, which is insanely low. And it actually gets 3 million tourists annually, despite the conflict that's been going on. And there are areas you should avoid, but the capital is gorgeous and it is visited all the time. And because of this high tourist rate, a lot of money coming to the country, low murder rate, it is actually seen as very high on the human development index. But the conflict between Turkey and Greece is still putting a strain on where the country could be. And it would be seen as much more of a paradise and hailed as one of the best countries in the world if it wasn't split the way it is and, you know, put into the box that it's been put in because of these foreign powers coming in and deciding what they're going to do with it. And that gets us pretty much to the end where I always like to leave it the way I always do, which is with a kind of takeaway or mindset to take from the history of the country. And with Cyprus, I have to say it's don't let the decisions of others affect your view. And the reason I say that is because there have been so many, as we saw, so, so, so many kingdoms, empires, individual rulers, crusaders, people that came into power and took over Cyprus. Despite this, there isn't a lot of hatred within Cyprus. If you look deeply outside of the small populations of people that are Greek Cypriots who hate Turkish Cypriots and the Turkish Cypriots who hate Greek Cypriots, it's mostly people who are just living in the country they're born in and don't have any distaste for someone just because they were born in a certain country. There are many Turkish and Greek Cypriots who are close friends, there's intermarriages, there's love between the two cultures, because of course they share a lot of history, and that on an international scale would sound crazy because they're two countries that are technically at war over this island of Cyprus, but these people don't see it that way, and we saw it in the very early history when the Umayyad came into power with the Byzantines, because the Byzantines and Umayyads both didn't want to fight, so anyone who came from either of those cultures had no problem with each other, and you could say that about Anywhere in the world where no matter what is happening in the greater country, the people themselves don't have this deep hatred nine times out of ten. Of course, there's clashes between Albanians and Serbs, and you could say there's Greek Cypriots and Turkish Cypriots who don't like each other, of course. But when it comes to overall population, the amount of people who actually care that much who aren't in politics, it's not that many. So I say with that, look at it for yourself is... If you get caught up in a sports team or a group or a club or anything that is bigger than just you, there's likely to be opinions. It's going to be a team that hates another team. It's going to be a county that hates another county, a state that hates another state, country, country, club, club, whatever it is. Don't fall prey to that mob mentality and let the people you roll with fully sway your opinions because that's just going to take away your individuality and it's going to take away opportunities and connections for you to make because you just have these glasses on that say, this is just an example. Okay, anyone from West Palm County, because I'm from Broward, is garbage. I hate them. I don't want to be around them. Their sports teams suck. They should get away from me. Their schools are garbage. That's just not smart. That's just going to push you down. It's going to keep you away from people that likely have no bad intentions with you and wouldn't look at you the same way, because why would they? We subscribe to a lot of beliefs, and we subscribe to a lot of group beliefs, and it is definitely a weakness in a lot of ways. So I say you need to apply that here, and... 
even beyond that, you should apply that kind of thinking as you pick a group to roll with because we all have our groups. We have our friend groups. We have our sports teams. We have our place of work. We have the partner we choose to be with and the family we accept that comes with them. Look from the outside in if you are getting ready to get into a relationship with someone and maybe their family has a racist undertone to them. Don't get with them. If you're getting ready to get with a job and it seems very clear that they have a beef with a local competitor and it's beyond just them selling the same product, there's an actual like distaste and hatred there, probably don't want to be a part of that. Same with friend groups where if one friend group is just known for hating this other group of people, probably better for you not to be a part of one fully and have allegiance to one of them because it's going to get you in trouble with the other one. So, you know, the lesson is to make sure you maintain your individuality when a group you're in has very specific opinions because being so polarized is a weakness and I think it's one of the greatest weaknesses with America, my country today, is that we subscribe fully to the beliefs of either our far right or far left people and the people who are most famous, AOC for the left and then Donald Trump for the right, people of that caliber can't agree on anything and they have such distaste for each other that we subscribe to their beliefs rather than what we know is the truth which is moderation which is AOC is probably right about a lot of things and Trump may have some good ideas as well or one of the Bushes might have good ideas as well as Obama having good ideas so figuring out that medium is the way forward and figuring out what you feel for yourself is what's most important so internalize that as you go into friend groups and as you look at your friend group or your club, team, whatever, and realize that you need to maintain your own opinions, make them for yourself, and don't fall prey to just being told what you need to think by the larger group of people. And on top of that, bring that same mindset And as you pick a friend group, because picking your friend group will likely define your actions and what you believe. So take both of those in and make sure you maintain your individuality. So I'm not going to drag it out anymore. This country is crazy, crazy with the history, and it gave us the great lesson we were able to just take away. So I hope something I said hit one of you. And even if it didn't, that was a cool-ass history. So I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something that you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And the first cat thing, all the empires, whatever it was, I hope you enjoyed. So genuinely, thank you all so much for being here through this being your first episode or you running with me through the 40 countries we've done so far been great so thank you all so much for being here and my name is alex marks this is young history and that was cyprus love y'all